0: the Homegrown Conversation with Sonny Rice and Brad Hunter. Welcome to Homegrown Conversations. Today's show is a collaboration between KFSK, the Petersburg Public Library, and the Alaska Sea Grant Marine Advisory Program. I'm Sonny Rice from the Marine Advisory Program and today I'm talking with Brad Hunter about the winter birds of Mitkoff Island and the Christmas Bird Count. Brad, good morning, is a, good morning, Brad. Brad is a seasoned birder. We'll find a little bit more about, about what he's up to. And he's gonna be giving a talk tonight as well with pictures. So as we're, as we're learning about birds, pictures are usually pretty helpful. So that's on Zoom tonight at seven o'clock. So hi, Brad, nice to see you via Zoom. Same here. Hey, um, so you know, how did you get interested in birding? How long have you been at it? And um, what's fascinating about it to you?
1: Oh, you know, as an amateur, I've been involved, you know, since I was very young. My my grandfather uh, was a commercial beekeeper, and from that, he knew his plants, and he knew his birds also, and taught me. And then my mother was also a birder, so you know, at at a level that many people learn them at in their youth. You know, I learned them from from family and friends, but uh, you know, and then I had some wildlife classes in, in college. Um, and and then in my job um, in the at the Forest Service, I was did the breeding bird surveys for a while, and I've been doing the Christmas bird count for a long time. I started with Bill Powick in the nineties, and and then after Bill Bill passed, I took over leadership of that program. So yeah, just um, various ways, I guess, over the years.
0: Do you still have your first field guide to the birds?
1: I do. It's uh, it's kind of in pieces, but yeah. What <laughs> anyway. was it? It was a golden field guide.
0: I remember mine, you had this giant, two inch thick Audubon bird guide with the plates, with the birds and the eggs, the drawings. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I used to leaf through that when I was a little kid. I just loved it. So um, yeah, um, so pretty much your whole life you've been at it. And then here on Mick Coff Island, how long have you lived here and been birding here?
1: Well, birding in the area for 40 years now. The first few years were wrangle, wrangled, but the rest of it's been here in Petersburg, so yeah we share the sticking river with them, which is a great birding place. So that's always been fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What, um, what, has there anything changed in what you see or since you started birding over time around
1: here? A lot of things have changed of course, over that time period. Um, um, things that I'm aware of, I'm sure there's a lot that I'm not aware of, but, um, the sticking flats comes to mind, and because and, that's where we really get the large numbers of birds around here. The uh, when the shorebirds migrate through in the spring, you know, it's just a just a fantastic uh, scene down there. But I'd say the the sandpipers, you know, the shorebirds have decreased significantly over that time period. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the exact numbers, but there used to be at least a million that came through uh, during migration. And it's much less now. You know, the Western sandpipers, the semi palmated sandpipers, Lee sandpipers, dunlins, you know, whole, whole bunches of them. Western's by far the largest uh, number of birds that come through on that. Um, other changes, um, um, the tur- Arctic terns over at Baird Glacier, you know, that's it's a, a nesting area, a nesting colony over there. It's been there for a long time. And of course, the the outwash plain at Baird's been undergoing substantial changes, mm-hmm. especially in the past few years. And we noticed, um, the, the biologist and myself noticed that the numbers were decreasing. The success rate um, of the hatchlings was decreasing over the past at least 10 years. Uh, we weren't sure why, you know, part of it could have been human impacts. Um, part of it was the changing habitat over there with the way the glacier was changing. Uh, increasing vegetation, whereas they used to nest or they like to nest out in the open gravel and the open moraine. Mm -hmm. Um, But just recently in the past couple of years, um, there's been some studies out of Juneau at the Mendenhall Glacier, because they also have a colony, and they've been noticing a similar um, trend there of decreasing population, decreasing survival of, of the hatchlings. And by luck, last year they found a number of dead birds, uh, dead babies, and they had also noticed when the adults were coming in, um, one of the primary foods is Pacific sand lance, you know, it's a little candlefish, which feeds off of plankton, um, and, and sometimes they actually would drop the fish before they even got, gave it to the chicks, um, and anyhow, they did an analysis up in Anchorage in a laboratory on some of those chick stomach contents and found sand lance in there and they also found traces of uh, paralytic shellfish poisoning no kidding. and heard um, of that. yeah so pretty sure that's what's going on or at least a significant part of what's going on there any additional stress is not good obviously if they're short on food or um, so I assume that's associated with the warming oceans and you know, the, what we're seeing with the plankton and Um, I had been wondering if maybe it's just because some of the feed was going so deep they couldn't reach it anymore. It was, you know, the the, the fish trying to be down in the colder water, lower in the in the water column. But um, evidently we have some some uh, toxins over there that are causing deaths of the fish. So that's one place we've also noticed change over the years. Um, Increase has been the um, snow geese, and that's happening continent wide the snow geese populations are just booming and we're seeing that too on the sticking flats when they come through in the spring. And you know, It's a pretty April. impressive sight. Oh amazing. They're
0: there. Yeah. I don't know
1: what the numbers are but it's thousands of geese and when those huge flocks takes off the, the noise is just incredible. Other um, changes um, well in general the warbler populations are going down and that's um, I don't have any numbers on that uh, but that's there are people that do have numbers and that's a continent wide trend too is, is warbler populations are go, going down. And a lot of that I believe has to do with habitat loss. Same thing with the shorebirds, a lot of that is habitat loss. Um, you, you think about all down the coast because a lot of the shorebirds, the sandpipers, they migrate long distances. Not all of them, but some of them do. I mean clear down to South America. It's all up and down the Pacific coast well, they're losing habitat whether it's to industry or whether it's human development for homes, um, resorts. You think about where some of our most popular places are to go, it's the beaches. Um, well, same thing for the sandpipers. That's where they get a lot of their primary food sources from, from the coastline. So um, that's, that's the major changes that come to mind for me. Um, there, are, there are definitely other ones too. In, in general, I think our local birds, the birds that spend most of their life around here and are not migrating off long distance, most of them are doing fairly well. Um lucky for them but, uh,
0: what are some of those what at uh, first, somebody who's not a avid birder, um what are some of those local birds that are they're likely to see at their bird feeder maybe um and yeah. I don't know if you can tell a little bit about how you might identify them briefly since we don't have pictures, but
1: yeah right. the most
0: common ones we'll find at a feeder
1: well, I mean ones that really don't go very far at all are you know the like the the chickadees you know our chestnut back chickadees that we have here um. The Stellar Jays, I, I think the Stellar Jays move a little bit, but not significant distances. Um, we get a lot of juncos in the winter, typically. We have some that stay here, summer around, breed and nest here also. But then there's also a lot of the uh, juncos from up north, the dark-eyed juncos that come down. And that's why a lot of people come snowbirds. They, they come down after it really freezes up up north. And interestingly, we have not seen very many yet, you know, this year here, at least I'm not aware of it. Um, I was looking on one of the online databases at eBird and um, they're getting some up in Juneau, excuse me, but um, not large numbers like we typically see. Um, Other birds at our feeders, um of course pine siskins and and that's one of those species that some years there's lots of them and other years there's not very many of them and and often that depends on feed you know last year people probably remember the the pine siskins were just thick all up and down the island not just at our feeders and that was true southeast wide and i think a lot of that had to do with the uh the, the food crop you know the cone crop last year and um, from the the hemlocks with the stress that was on them from the the hemlock sawfly and then spruce also just had a huge cone crop last year so we had a lot of that finch family here last winter and you know the the um, crossbills and white, the red crossbills white wing crossbills the pine siskins and grosbeaks uh, to a lesser extent but,
0: what about the golden I feel like I used to see more golden crowned and white crowned sparrows I feel like I haven't seen those in a few years what's your experience with that?
1: Uh, they're more seasonal. We do get some in the winter. I have not seen any this year. I think I had one golden crown at my feeder last winter. Um, I hadn't seen a lot of them. Yeah, our primary sparrows, of course, juncos, which are in the sparrow family. And then after that would be the song sparrow. Um, there's a couple different variations of the song sparrow, but the the one we see here, the sooty song sparrow, um, they don't travel very far either. They're pretty much here year-round. So that's another one. Thanks for bringing it up. That's another one we get at our feeders, the sparrows. Um,
0: I always love it when I get a flicker at my feeder.
1: Right. Northern flickers. We get northern flickers. Um, of course, nowadays, people that have hummingbird feeders through the winter are getting the Anna's hummingbird in the winter. Well, I'm not sure the numbers in catch Can. They have quite a few there. I think there's a lot of people there that have feeders out, um, which is quite a bit of responsibility because once you start feeding them you want to be able to do it through the winter because if we don't they probably won't survive Um, and then juno has quite a few of them also but i was going to
0: ask if you'd recommend putting up a hummingbird feeder in the winter those people that those of us that feed the hummingbirds in the summer would you suggest to try leaving them up for the winter or would you encourage people to take them down
1: I don't think there's anything wrong with having them as long as, you know, they, you have to keep them clean so, so diseases don't get transferred and they have to be managed so they're not frozen. So they're kept full or those little birds don't last long without food.
0: This winter, it's not so bad, but previous winters I've tried it, and it's been a real task
1: <laughs> yes, <right. laughs> to keep
0: unfrozen right. feed out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Brad, I'm going to take a little break for just a second. And then I want to ask you about water birds. So if you're just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, which is a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Sunny Rice, and today I'm talking with Brad Hunter about the winter birds of Mitkoff Island and the Christmas bird count. And I'll be hosting Brad giving a talk tonight via Zoom with a little bit more details and and pictures about these things we'll be talking about. And we're not going to go into the Christmas bird count today, but we'll be talking about that tonight as well. But What about if somebody lives on the water or happens to be walking along the water this time of year, what should we be looking for there?
1: Well, that's one place we're really lucky because we get a lot of water birds in the winter, even on some species more than the other communities in in southeast for some reason. Um, The long tailed ducks, we have by far the highest population, winter population of long tailed ducks uh, of southeast. Uh, One year for the Christmas bird count, we had something like 5, it was 5,500. There's a bunch of them. Um, that's when Bill Powick and I were counting together. Other birds on the water, of course, we have our goals. There's the majority of the goals we have are the glaucous wing goals, but we also have new goals and then some other types that are to, to a lesser extent. Um, Gulls can be challenging because they have you know, up to like four years of immature um, plumage before they reach their mature plumage and then they have their winter and their summer plumage and they're a challenge. Um, other water birds, of course, we have the harlequin ducks. And, you know, a lot of them hanging out right on the rocks along the shoreline and and we get quite a few of those compared to many places. Um, we get a lot of uh, the Barrow's golden GoldenEyes in the narrows and up by Sandy Beach and um, it's kind of fun seeing them. They're, they all work together in a flock diving down and, you know, getting mussels and. And it's you can see them in a line as they're working way on the surface, and then they all dive in a line and then come back up. So I can't see what's going on underwater. It would be interesting <laughs> to see, but they're they're working as a team under underwater feeding on mussels and other other critters down there. Uh, the pelagic cormorants, we get those in the winter, especially out on the on the cans, on the narrows and and the pigeon guillemots, which we have some of those in the summer. They're all up underneath the canneries. But in the summer, you know they're all black. And then they have that white patch on their wing. And otherwise, they're all black, except their legs are bright red. So when they dive and they're a diving duck or bird that you, you see their bright red legs. Um, other water birds, of course, the loons, oh, yeah. primarily the two loons we see in the winter are either common loons or Pacific loon. Um, the common loons are usually one, two, you know, in it together. Often the Pacific loons will be in larger groups. Sometimes out on Frederick Sound or in Scow Bay, you can see hundreds of them. Um, um, hard to describe verbally, but mm-hmm. the, um, the common loons, a larger bird, and then they have the white front on the neck and then the dark on the back of their neck and the head the line that separates that white and the dark is kind of a broken line, a wavy line coming with a vertical line on the side of their neck versus the Pacific loon It has a real straight edge, a definite uh, straight edge between the black and the white. And then often if close enough to see it, the Pacific loon has a little necklace right under its chin, a little black necklace that, that uh, goes under the, the, the head. And the loons there.
0: in general are quite a bit, are bigger than maybe the smaller birds that will be then the Harlequin Ducks and I, I feel like I I feel like I see them a little further out generally in true yeah. strong yes strong pointy mm-hmm. bill yeah yeah
1: they feed out in a little deeper water usually yeah yeah
0: so if I'm a new birder or just new to I'm interested in birding um what are some good places to go and look besides hang a bird feeder I guess
1: besides what
0: besides hanging up a bird feeder which will bring some right to you if i wanted to head out adventuring on it well for
1: for for water water birds yeah water birds hungry point is a great place and it it, the the concentrations vary depending on the tide Um, but often an outgoing tide's bringing food down out to them right there you get a lot of birds there um blind Slough is a great place to go of course the swan observatory and, and out at the hatchery there's a lot of birds out there the swans are out there One note I would say on the swans is there have, over the years, been swans who have died because of starvation. We don't realize it, but any additional stress on on any bird, but the swans, it's noticeable, um, getting people getting close to them for changing their behavior, or trying to swim away from you, then we're obviously getting too close. Um, I've heard one mortality already this year. Um, Anybody seen the stuffed bird that's at the Forest Service, that was actually a bird that had starved to death. Um, so, yeah, Blind Slough is a great place for birding. The uh, Hungry Point, even off of the end of the old ferry terminal, you know, walking out there, um, or the drive down dock, you can get real close to some of the, or any of our docks out on the South Harbor or Middle Harbor. Um, Yeah, those are ones that come to mind. on On the uplands in the wintertime, it can be pretty darn quiet sometimes. You know, if you go up Twin Creeks up in the snow up there, there's very little going on up there.
0: I heard a couple little peeps this morning on my walk, but um, yeah, it was pretty quiet today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is there like weather? We should you don't? I mean, of course, there's weather. You want to be outside in that given weather, but is there certain types of weather that might be more likely to have see more birds?
1: There is, of course, in the summer, especially early when you get a sunny day, the insects come out and a lot of the like warblers, and they're all coming out and feeding on the insects. But this time of year, that's not as true. Um, unusual species, we often get them after big storms or stormy weather brings some of those unusual species to us. They kind of get blown off course or they have to drop out of the sky because they can't keep going if they're migrating. Um, it, it's tough birding and like the weather, this forecast coming here in the next few days is really tough birding. It's poor light, whether you're using a camera, whether you're using binoculars, you know, your, your equipment's getting wet, you're getting wet and the birds hunker down quite a bit too. Not so much the ducks, but, you know, some some of the ducks, I swear they love it out there playing and the, the harlequin play in the surf and dive in the surf. Um, at least that's my interpretation. <laughs> um, but yes, weather does affect success at birding.
0: So I think when most people think about birding, they think about identifying birds, keeping a list, having a life list, and then the the people that you hear about that, like, fly all over the world so that they can check this bird off their list. But um, what are some other things, you know, I mean, I I love just watching the bird behavior at my bird feeder, but what are other things, you know...
1: well, I, About I, birding,
0: that I, I guess think that's, you.
1: that's, that's the most enjoyable part of it. In my mind is what you just said is, is just observing and watching them and their antics and, you know, especially the birds that are flocked up, you know, um, the fun of it, but in photography at, at any, at any level, you know, um, is, is fun and it can be used for just your own enjoyment because if you snap a picture, then you can really study it and look at it afterwards instead of just a brief look at a bird and then you can look it up in your book, look at your picture, um. But from an artistic standpoint, you know we have several of those in, in the community here. You know, Karen and Cornelius and Brian Paust and really, you know, Matt Garrett's really good photographers out there with the birds. Um, I, the, the social aspect of birding—if if once we get to where we can go out and bird together again more easily—it's it's a lot of fun to bird with other people. It's fun afterwards to share what you have seen, so they can go out and see what something that might be unusual or interesting. Um, and I really enjoy documenting the, the species it's I guess you call it citizen science there's a couple of different um, avenues for doing that uh, probably one of the largest or widest accepted ones is called eBird and it's it's through Cornell University so it's a worldwide database primarily U.S. but it's worldwide also um, that they use a lot for uh, you know watching for trends and changes and populations and but that's a lot of fun and you can look at what other people are finding it's a really great resource you can go online anybody can it's the ebird.org and 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 you can look at what birds are being seen around here uh, you can look at it seasonally see what time of year they're seeing here you can see what's being seen in Juneau, what's seen in Ketchikan, or any place else in the world too um, but i find it uh, enlightening to see like okay say the migration in spring is happening if they're showing up in can, then they're going to be here pretty soon.
0: So the social aspect, I feel like I I always know if I get a text from you or if I'm going to text you, it's usually about some bird that I saw. And I think that's really fun. Brad, in my mind, is sort of our local curator of all these interesting things. Um, and so if people see a, a unique bird, do you want them to, you know, let you know? And-
1: I would greatly appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just for my own Personal perspective, and you know, I like to go out and see them myself. But uh, I think it's also important that we document what's what's here, especially with something unusual or high numbers or different species. I mean, you called me that time that you saw that woodpecker, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You saw the Lewis woodpecker off a hog there, and and called me, and I came down immediately, and and that's how we you know, started that whole thing. People, People actually were,
0: flew into town to to look oh, at that bird, right? Yeah, that's pretty did. exciting. <laughs> That'll get you hooked right off the bat.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Something like that well so and then um
1: let's talk about the facebook page well yeah there's two birding group facebook pages in petersburg we're fortunate to have that many people interested but um the one that i've and you and i manage is is the petersburg birders and and that was a big reason why i started it was to give us an avenue where people could post what they're seeing and help others in the community um you know know what's out there um and and just just seemed like this year was a Especially good year to, it's something we can do in this year of of COVID precautions. You know, we can still go out and bird and, and, and enjoy. And um, so, I, yeah, I I find the Facebook page real enjoyable. You know, I know not everybody uses Facebook, and that's okay. But so it'd be nice to have other avenues like KFSK um, where folks can you know, somehow communicate about birding here and what's going on.
0: So I was just out. We actually just got a few minutes. um, I was just out refilling. Oh, I I glanced up at my bird feeder while we're talking because now that I'm working from home, I can see it and a flicker just landed. So I was just putting sunflower seeds in my sunflower feeder. And then I was, I was emptying out my other one that I put the millet and the regular seed in and it was drenched. And I know that you have been feeding birds from bird feeders for a long time. Do you have any like Tips for buying a good feeder, what you look for in dealing with the sideways rain and things like that, 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 we, um, that we deal with here at Southeast Alaska. Found any good sure. ones you think are great? Sure.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure much time we have, but um, I, I, can I get back to that? But real quick, just <laughs> make sure that people know the Christmas bird count is going on right now. Uh, count week started yesterday. So anything that's unusual, especially make note of between yesterday and next Tuesday. Count day is on Saturday. So I would urge people with bird feeders to make sure they're active and full coming into that day to help uh, help us see birds. And this is an especially good year for people at their own house or, or around their own area and watch their bird feeders, make note of what they see. And if they would let me know after Saturday, I'd really appreciate it. Cause with the stormy weather and with our you know, COVID situation it, it's, it's really a perfect year for people with bird feeders to, to be actively watching for birds over the next few days.
0: And then get in touch with you and let them know, let you know what they've seen, Great. Yes,
1: right. Um, As far as bird feeders, um, yeah, keeping them dry. I mean, there's homemade things, structures you can do. There's, you can buy those plastic umbrellas that go over the top of a, Mm -hmm. um, and and it's a hard plexiglass, not like an umbrella, um, that go over bird feeders to keep them drier, or it's just changing them out more frequently, or maybe not putting in as much, if there's a whole lot in there maybe it's if it stays in there too long if you don't have a lot of birds then it's going to get wet it could get moldy could carry disease um yeah in a nutshell i guess that's what i'd say real quickly but and i know other challenges are the pest birds you know the ones that come in and eat all your food and whether it's hmm. pigeons or starlings or excuse me even the crows and and there's things that can be done for most of those because their body size tarling, starlings are more of a challenge but the bigger birds pigeons Crows, you, you can put a little uh, fence around the feeder to help keep them out.
0: Okay, Great. Well, I think that's just about anything else uh, that you want folks to know. Well,
1: I, I think that's it. Yeah, I just encourage bird feeder people to, to uh, let me know what they see on Saturday.
0: Let us, when you want to put your phone number out there?
1: Sure. And and if they have a camera, snap a picture, even a cell phone picture can help do a positive identification. But my phone number for leaving a message is 72-3658. six, five, eight.
0: OK, great. Thank you so much, Brad. Um, yeah. It's been a pleasure birding with you over the years and looking forward to many more years of Christmas bird counts and the like. And tonight at 7 p.m., Brad will be giving a talk with some photos um, on the birds that we see around here in the winter and as well as a little bit on the data, correct, that we've gotten from the past years in the Christmas bird count. So, so looking forward to that. So thank you for joining us. This has been homegrown conversations. Today's show has been a collaboration between KFSK, the Petersburg public library and the Alaska sea grant Marine advisory program who I work for. Thank you to KFSK, the friends of Petersburg public libraries for making today's show possible.